is the Heart to Heart Foundation podcast. It will be covering a walk from the geographic centre of Australia to the centre of the nation's capital in Canberra to raise awareness of the mental health issues faced by our first responders. We ask a lot of the people in our police, emergency services and all frontline workers. That takes a big toll on them and their families, which is why this walk is happening. These are just everyday people that have to do extraordinary things. These people are just like my dad. Another Heart to Heart Walk podcast by the Loddon River at Karangan, Victoria. And today I'm joined by Nikki Skinner. G'day, Nikki. G'day. Nikki is a paramedic with the ACT Ambulance Service and a walker on the Heart to Heart Walk. So uh, thank you very much for joining the walk for the last week. Thanks for having me. And all the kilometres that you've uh, done for us. Yeah, thank you very much. No worries. I think I've done about uh, 21 kilometres now. Is it? Yeah, yeah right. something like that. There yeah. you go. Well, it's a, uh, it's a contribution to a good cause and, uh, yeah, and it's heading in the right direction. Back yeah. home for you. Yeah, back home for me tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, Nikki, tell us a little bit. I'm really interested to hear about your journey to becoming an ambulance officer. So, but right back at the very start, where did you grow up? I grew up in Sydney, in the Hills District of Sydney, uh, in a place called Castle Hill, and then the family oh, yeah. moved to Bella Vista when I was a teenager. Yeah, right. Yeah. So what took you to the ambulance world? Well, I always wanted to be a nurse. I have an auntie who's a nurse, and um, I thought that was really cool, something I always wanted to do. Um, and then when I was in year nine, we had, uh, for our PE class, this fellow came to do a first aid course, and he was a paramedic, and he said to everyone, put your hand up if you want to work as a nurse or a doctor. So I put my hand up and so he took us all aside and said, this is what a paramedic is. See if you Ah. want to do that. And from that day, that's what I decided I wanted to do. I wanted to do nothing else. I was ready to leave school and be a paramedic, but that obviously was not a thing. So, yeah. So what's the pathway into becoming a paramedic look like these days? I'm not a... I don't know. Yeah, I know there's an academy in Sydney and that's about all I know. <laughs> yeah, so it used to be vocational. They used to take people off the street and teach them and then they'd become ambulance officers and then paramedics. Yeah. Um, but now you've got to have a university degree. Apart from, I think New South Wales still has a vocational process or a, their own process, but I could be wrong about that. Um, but um, yeah, you have to have a degree. Um, and so I did a double degree in nursing and paramedics. Right. Because I still had that passion for nursing and wanted to do both. Okay. Um, yeah, and so for the straight paramedic degree, it takes three years. Um, but for the nursing and paramedics, that was four years. Was it? Yeah. yeah. Right. So, and you've got to do that before you sort of apply for the ambulance service. Is that yeah, how that works? Right. Right. Yeah, that's right. Right. So you, yeah. you do all of your study before you even apply. Yeah, yeah, and you're not guaranteed a job after you finish yeah, studying. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. So how did that work for you? Um, yeah, so I moved from, uh, Sydney to Canberra because when I wanted to study, there was only two places available, Bathurst, um, and Canberra that were close to me. I obviously could have gone to Melbourne or Queensland, but didn't really want to. Yeah. Um, and I didn't get into Bathurst because I just, paperwork messed up and things didn't really know the process, but Canberra had a brand new degree. It was the first year they were doing this. Um, and so I applied for them and got in and moved to Canberra and then did my four years there, um. And then after, when I graduated, there weren't actually that many positions for paramedics in Australia. The um, the graduate position wasn't really funded by the government very well, or as far as I know. 
Um, and so to get a job as a graduate in Australia was really difficult and very competitive. But London Ambulance was very desperate for paramedics at the time. So what year are you talking about here? Uh, so I must have graduated in 2016. Okay. Yeah, I think it was 2016. So, yeah, London Ambulance were desperate for um, paramedics and they they actually came to Australia to do their recruitment process. We went to this fancy hotel and did all the interviews really? and stuff. Yeah, it was like the fanciest hotel I've ever been in. Huh. <laughs> um, and we did like interviews and this we had to show them how we knew how to do CPR and stuff. Right. Carry a mannequin up and down the stairs and then they offered us jobs and they actually paid for us to go over there. Um, and so, yeah, they paid for me to go over there and... They paid for the first three weeks of accommodation um, and breakfast, the first three weeks of breakfast, which was helpful because I didn't have any money. So I made my breakfast last for breakfast, lunch and dinner (laughs) for that first three weeks. Yeah. Yeah. And that was great. Whereabouts did you end up over there? So that, well, they refer to that as the NHS, is that? Yeah, I've, the I've National, heard yeah. of it obviously since COVID and everything. So, yeah, National Health Service. National Health Service. Yeah, London Ambulance was part of the NHS. Right, okay. And so I um, I ended up in a place called Romford, which is northeast of London. It's actually technically in Essex, I think. Okay. But it's under um, London Ambulance Service and right. I worked there for three years. Three years over there? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Right. So how did you find it? So is structurally, is the ambulance service like, it, I suppose, for context, before we start that, is is it like the Australian ambulance services that we would know here? Is it is it run similarly? I think um, for the people who don't know ambulance services, it would be very similar. Okay. Um, but for those who work in ambulance, it'd be quite different. So okay. um, here in Australia, everyone's a paramedic. Um, obviously, there are some services that have volunteers who yep. are not paramedics, but in Australia, everyone who's paid um, is a paramedic. Right. Uh, but in the in London, sorry, they they have what's called technicians, and so they're not paramedics. When oh. I worked there, they were called emergency ambulance. Anyway, something like that, technicians of some sort. Right. Okay. But they're not paramedics, um, and they they're really good at their jobs. A lot of them, but they don't have all the same skills and. Um, scope of practice yeah, that, okay. that paramedics have. So when we when I went over there, I was a brand new paramedic straight out of uni yeah. and I was in a situation where I was the clinical lead and the one with the most experience. Well, not experience, but, you know, treated as if I was the yeah. one with the most experience. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, so that's the major difference. So did you do, in your training, do you do field placements where you've actually got to go and apply what you've learned at uni in an ambulance in Australia, is that part of the actual graduation pathway yeah. for that degree? Yeah. So when I studied, um, paramedics didn't have registration. That wasn't a thing. Yeah, I remember when that came in. Yeah, yeah. and so that meant that the university courses, um, they didn't actually have to – there was no sort of requirement of the number of hours that you needed to do in placement. Ah, okay. Now it's different. They have a requirement. Right. But I was lucky that our university – um, they provided us with placement hours, not as many as probably would have been helpful. It was yeah, about, right. it was about four, four to eight days a year. Um, oh, wow, with, of all. the four years. Yeah. I did a lot more nursing placement than I did paramedic placement. Um, I was actually such a keen student that what I would do is I'd go for my morning shift eight, um, 8 AM till 6 PM. And then I'd ask the night shift crew if I could stay on with them. And I would stay on till midnight and then come back really? to do my 8 a.m. shift the next day. I don't think that was technically allowed, but I was very keen. <laughs> wow. So I did that. And they, so you're they talking wouldn't about a hospital to... setting here or? No, so that was in the ambulance. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. And we weren't allowed to do night shift as a student, so we would have to 
leave at midnight. Yeah, so, okay, okay. Yeah. Otherwise, you might have been there 24 hours. <laughs> I probably would have been, yeah. Oh, good on Knowing you. Wow. So yeah. lo- tell me about the London Ambulance Service because I, I certainly don't know. I, I, I've only been to England once and that was a very short period of time. So I don't have any idea what it would be like working over there. Yeah, well, um, it was it was very different for me in terms of workload. Um, right. I had experienced the ACT Ambulance, which is... I mean, it's busy in its own way, but it was not nearly as busy as London. Right. Um, you start your shift and you get a job and then you work and work and work until past the end of your shift and then you go home. Yeah, right. There's no breaks. Um, but for me, working as a new paramedic there, it was very much sink or swim. There was, um, you know, a lot of stuff that I just had to figure out. I was going to say, it must have been daunting if you're yeah. like the highest qualified person on the crew, but with the like not with the experience level that you would be comfortable with. Absolutely. People would ask me things and I'd be like, I have been doing this for five minutes. I have no idea. And so I just had to figure it out. There was a clinical help desk that we had where you could call and say, this is what I think that I should do. What do you think? Uh, okay. And yeah. um, they actually you found... that on speed dial a bit. Yeah. And <laughs> I called them so many times. I remember when I first went to an unconscious person and they were just drunk and sleeping. Yeah, right. um, but I was so new and I was like, I called them and I said, when I was at uni and they were unconscious, I had to do something. But for this one, I they seem to be just drunk and I don't know what to do. Yeah, <laughs> and right. they said, no, no, you just take them to hospital. It's fine. Right. But it was stuff like that where I didn't have the experience yeah. to, to figure it out. Like it was simple things, but you're just learning this on your own for the first time. And they actually found now that Australians were calling that number so much more than any... UK Ah, people. So they've now brought in a graduate program in London where the the new Australian or any new paramedic has to work with a qualified paramedic for a certain number of hours. It sort of makes sense. It makes so much sense. I think most other jobs do that. That's (laughs) crazy that they throw you in the deep end like that. And I think it was really lucky for me that I didn't make any mistakes that that cost people their livelihood, life, you know, or or quality of life. Yeah, Yeah. right. So the the area... That you're working in was it a low socioeconomic, high crime area, or was it? It a was, yeah. So I didn't Rose actually Bay. get a choice of where I worked. Um, <laughs> okay. They said they they presented us with a map and said pick where you want to go. I'd right. never been to London before, yeah. so I said to them, "Oh, what do you think?" And <laughs> no, don't, <laughs> don't say the... <laughs> that because that's where they, they put you in the no one wants to go station. Exactly what yeah. they did. They said, "Oh, this place would be great," yeah. and oh, so no. that's where I went. <laughs> and it was very low socioeconomic um, and very multicultural. Okay. So there was there was a lot of gang violence there. Um, it was an interesting mix of this sort of violence. What sort of uh, what what multicultural element was there predominantly? There was a lot of what British people call Asian, which we right. would we would kind of not call Asian. You know, kind of um, some Indian, some African. African's okay. not Asian, but you yeah. know, they they have a different definition of Asian over there. Okay, but um, that was the type of gangs that happened but there was also a lot of um like lithuanians and that sort of scandinavian um that sort of demographic was there as well it is diverse yeah very diverse yeah there was lots of different nationalities but the gangs weren't necessarily within nationalities it was more um just within postcodes you know they they would every nationality would mix together and form this gang and then be like well i'm in this postcode and you're yeah. in this postcode and so we're going to fight against each other. Okay. And that caused issues. Yeah, right. But I it was imagine. definitely an interesting mix of that sort of gang violence 
And then a lot of older people who had lived in the area for so many years um, and ended up just really low socioeconomic and couldn't get into any doctors or anything, um, didn't have money for healthcare, so they'd end up really sick, just um, yeah, right. very unwell. So we had a mix of big trauma and big medical. So it was a lot of learning for me in yeah. figuring out actually sick patients. So I wouldn't be wrong thinking that with gangs there's crime and violence. Yeah, you so, definitely uh, wouldn't be wrong. Yeah, that's, uh, that's international. So um, tell us a little bit about what it was like working in that environment because, yeah, that, that's yeah. a bit different to ACT, I'm sure. It's Even very different to ACT. On a different scale, I'm sure. Yes, yeah. ACT's got a very different demographic. Um <laughs> Yeah, it was it was definitely interesting. Um, there was a lot of gang violence, which in London the violence is usually stabbings. That's right. um, and I went to so many stabbings that they all kind of just merge into into one. You, you can't really? isolate an incident. What, yeah, in, in that just in those few years, just in the three years, yeah, it wasn't uncommon to go to a stabbing. Like not most shifts, but most blocks of shifts, you would go to a stabbing. Seriously. Yeah, and anywhere from young kids to old people, like. It was really, really common um, and they would never admit that it was anything to do with gangs but the the excuses that they came up with like, oh, I remember one, um, a guy said that a kid at school had stolen his pencil so he stabbed him he stabbed him with it and I was like I'm, I'm pretty sure that's not why you've stabbed him with the pencil but <laughs> I'm pretty sure you're not at school <laughs> yeah I don't, I don't think so. yeah yeah right so, so what yeah do you have an idea of how many you would have attended in your time oh there? I would say probably more than 50 50 stabbing yeah I I think so like I I at first I would count them and say oh, I've been to 10 stabbings yeah, yeah right but by the end you just you've been to so many that you kind of don't bother counting anymore. Everyone's been yeah. to that many stabbings in London. It's not uncommon. Wow. Yeah. Especially in northeast London there was just, yeah, loads. Gee. Everyone and was very used to it. So I'm guessing uh, from what you were describing before where you've got a ambulance driver sort of offsider and you're the paramedic, that's all on you every time you go to it. Yeah, and like I say, a lot of the technicians were really experienced and very skilled, but it's just the scope of practice that they had compared to the scope right. of practice that I had. Um, and so I was always the one who had to be clinical lead, um, unless there was another paramedic there, but that was really unusual. Was it? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, from from very early in my ambulance career, I had to kind of figure out how to deal with these big traumas. And sometimes you'd have kind of dangerous situations. I was just about to ask that, is it? Yeah. Is, is this... Is, is the London Metropolitan Police sort of all over you every time you go to these jobs or? No, not always. No, there was definitely situations where we were there without them and they're so busy um, yeah, and right. stabbing is such a common thing. Like it doesn't even make the newspaper. In Australia, if someone got stabbed, it would yeah, be all over the news. But, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, stabbing is such a common thing. The police would get there when they could get there and sometimes that wow. put us in a bit of a, a dangerous situation. Um, How old were you when you were doing this? Oh, I think I went to London when I was 22. Gee. Yeah, so it must have been 22 That's an intense 25. start to your career. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. It really is. Yeah, definitely. Oh, well, I'm just <laughs> trying to I'm trying to picture myself as a 22-year-old in charge of the, the medical response to a stabbing. Yeah. I I'm glad I wasn't doing that. I mean, I was in the cops then, but I 
it was structured so, you know, while you were still learning the job and putting into practice what you'd learned at the academy, you were always with someone senior. Yeah, and that's the way they do it now, thankfully. Right. For the most part, anyway, and you certainly had assistance nearby if you mm. if you needed it. But the thing mm. about the stabbings, though, is that it got so easy to deal with. Like it's just one wound usually. Right. Sometimes they've been stabbed multiple times, and you've got to check these things. But you learn how to deal with it. Um, it was mostly the environment that you're in. Like if there were other people around who didn't yeah. like the person who had been stabbed, or you know, yeah, um, okay, or who did like the person who had been stabbed and was getting angsty about you doing your job well, right. Um, sometimes that could be quite confronting and dangerous. So you had to really navigate that because um, in London we didn't really have any way of protecting ourselves. Okay. Um, in the ACT, the police are around really quickly and we can chemically sedate people if we need to and that's appropriate. Right. But in London um, we had nothing like that, so we just had to figure it out and make sure we were safe. Thankfully I was always safe. I mean... In the end, I was always safe. Yeah. Um, I, I bet never... you had some hairy moments, though. Is I there, did, Is there yeah. anything that comes to mind? Yeah. Um, so I worked as a solo responder for a while, um, which okay. I, I absolutely loved. But there was one incident where a fellow was sitting at a train station and he called for something like shortness of breath or something like yeah. that that warranted a single response unit. Um, and it turns out that he was calling just to, you know, cause trouble, Um there wasn't anything wrong with him. He just wanted to make a scene. And so I turned up there, a 23 or something year old girl by myself, chatted with him. Um, and as I was chatting with him, just more and more people kept turning up, men, big burly men, they just kept turning up. And I was kind of looking around thinking this isn't going well. And so I radioed and said, I need some backup. And they said, oh yeah, backup will come when it comes. And I said, no, no, I don't feel safe. I need backup. And they said, yeah, that's fine. Backup will come when it comes. Um, like and I, now. <laughs> yeah, and I ended up in a situation just surrounded by these big burly men, oh, and wow. I, I managed to shoulder my way out, get in my car, lock the door, and drive around the corner. And I obviously Seriously? sounded distressed enough on the radio that the police came and right. sorted it out. But um, yeah, I was really lucky that I was able to shoulder my way out of that because I was not in a safe situation then. It was really scary. Yeah. Gee. That so, rattled me, actually. I was a bit nervous to work by myself after that. Oh, I don't doubt it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you reckon it was a setup sort of thing? Was it a stage? Yeah, absolutely. It was actually yeah. a stage thing to get someone like someone like you to turn up. Yeah, yeah. That seemed to be what had happened. Yeah. And it was around the time in London of all the acid attacks. So I don't know if you remember on the news. It might not have made Australian news. but Yeah, no, it did because like, yeah. I couldn't think of anything worse than having battery acid. Like, And I did. Actually, I think I heard about that. Uh, there were some African countries where that was happening all the time. I just, I, there's some association that I remember with African crime gangs using yeah. it. But maybe it was African crime gangs in, in England that it I was. It could have been, yeah. Can't remember, can't remember. And it was really prevalent at the time. There was, And we were getting all these emails saying, oh, don't open your windows and stuff, people. And yeah. there was a paramedic who had a liquid thrown in her face. Luckily, it wasn't acid. Right. Um, but yeah, so that. That, when that happened to me, it was around the time of the acid attack. So I was actually very lucky that it wasn't anything more sinister. I, I mean, in that situation, anything could have happened. I could have been well, stabbed. Say, there could have been acid. It could have been guns. Yeah. It could have been just physical assault. But yeah. I was lucky to get out. There's no just physical assault. It could have been, it <laughs> yeah. could have been horrendous. It yeah. could have been horrendous, yeah. I don't doubt that's left a mark on how you do business these days. It certainly has. I I still love solo responding to things, mm. but I'm definitely more choosy as to what I decide to go into. Yeah, right. Um, in London, I would often 
after that, I would often say, oh, I don't feel safe going into the situation. Yeah. Um, and the response I got to that was a meeting with a manager who said, do you think you're suitable for the solo response vehicle? Yeah, right. Really? Um, yeah, right. So, and look, you need to be able to solo respond to things, but if you don't feel safe, you need to be supported as yeah. well. Yeah. We would like to take a moment to thank our platinum sponsors, Police Bank and the Australian Federal Police Association. As you can imagine, walking from the centre of Australia to Canberra is no small feat. And without the support of our sponsors, this walk would just not be possible. So thanks again to the Police Bank and the Australian Federal Police Association for supporting the walk. I used to love working on my own. I, I went out of my way to go to a uh, single unit police station very early in my career, just because I, I enjoyed it as well um, mm. for a whole bunch of reasons. But why did you like working on your own? I just enjoyed the challenge of it. I thought it was, um, it's a kind of a different model of treating patients. You got to figure out what they need then and there and then manage that until someone else can come and take them to hospital. Yeah, right. Um, so you, are you responding in an actual ambulance or is it just a car with kit in it? So a you, car with kit in it. Yeah, right. Yeah. And yeah. I really liked that because I had to think for myself, there was no one to bounce ideas off, yeah. apart from if I called the clinical support no, the desk. hotline number. <laughs> but by that time, I was a bit more confident in my yeah. own abilities. Um, so how many yeah. years had you been an active paramedic at that point when you were going solo? Um, well, me saying I'm confident in my own abilities, I'd only, be, I'd only been a paramedic for one year when I did that. Um, yeah, so, I so was, you're a single unit at one year. I was very much a baby paramedic um, at the time, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's a big... Uh, yeah, that's a big step. Yeah. Actually, one year yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. I absolutely loved in it. In Gangland? But, yeah. <laughs> so that was in the same part of That was London? in Romford, yeah, Dagenham, Romford. Okay. Yeah. Right. Beckentree was the ambulance station that was called, yeah. yeah. How many ambulance officers were there? Um, oh, it, that's I, I'm a, just trying to picture the area. Was it a huge station or no, a tiny one? No, it was one a or? small station and okay. everyone was actually really close. Like it was a, okay. it was a good kind of family unit there at... Beckentree and Romford. Beckentree was smaller. There was less. I couldn't tell you how many yeah. there were in total because the roster system over there is really weird and there are people working random times. And so there'd be like right. 30 or 40 people who are rostered to Beckentree Station. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah, right. Okay, that's big. Yeah, but none, not working all at the same time. Yeah. So you might have like 10 working at a time. Yeah, yeah. Still, yeah, it's bigger than what I was picturing. Yeah. Is it just normal shift work that you're working like any old emergency services role? How far away from work were you? You mean where, where I was living? living? Yeah. yeah. Um, so when I started... Because I'm, I'm just picturing horrendous traffic or... Well, yeah. Know. When I started in London, um, I went to a real estate agent and said, oh, you've got to help me where I need to live because I'm Australian. I have no idea. And I was again... <laughs> um, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> so, yeah, again, chose the wrong person. Um, so he took me and some friends of mine to this area and said, oh, this is a great area. It's really up and coming. Um, you'll really enjoy it. And so we lived there as a place called Canning Town. Um, and if anyone knows London, they'll know that I was tricked um, because right. Canning Town is not up and coming. It's, in fact, um, quite dangerous. And I had to walk through this park to get to the train station to get to work. And um, some of our shifts finish at 2 or 3 in the that's, morning. That's what I was wondering, and, like, as uh, a young young female walking around yeah. London. And there was multiple times walking through that park that I'd see drug deals going down or like yeah. just people being shifty and I didn't feel safe. So I actually bought a car. It was like this old car that didn't cost, it cost more to insure than it cost to buy. <laughs> um, but it was manual. I didn't know how to drive manual. So I had ah, to figure that out, <laughs> which yeah, right. was terrifying. I would get up two hours before work every day and just stop and start and stop and start on the streets until I figured it out. 
But um, yeah. <laughs> you would have been frazzled by the time you got oh, to work. <laughs> I, w- I would take my heart rate when I got to work after driving there and it would be like 150. I'd be like terrified. Yeah. But yeah, when as soon as I could move out of that place, I did. Gang violence has got nothing on a manual gearbox. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, as soon as I could move out of Canningtown, I did. And I moved yeah. into a, um, an Ambrose place in Romford and lived okay. there yeah, for right. most of my time in London. And then... Um, just a couple of months before I left, he wanted someone who could pay more rent than I could, so he kicked me out and I lived with a family from church. Yeah, okay. Which was great, actually. Yeah, right, right, yeah. right. Did you know them before you left or you just established that when you were over there? I, I established – I spent ages looking for a church in London and okay. eventually found one. Um, and, yeah, I met them and we had gone on a trip together because the church had a trip and so I just went to them and said, look, I'm desperate. I'm leaving in three months. I can't get a rental property. Can I have a room in your house? And they very graciously gave me a room. It was this tiny little room but it fit my needs and it was lovely living with them. They're a beautiful couple. Yeah, good on you. Yeah. Yeah, right. It felt like having a family in London which is what I missed while I was there. It's the reason I was going home. Is it? Yeah, Yeah. right. I was just ready to be near family again. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't. Actually, that's pretty brave of you, to be honest with you, to step out at that age into another country just to get established in the line of work that you wanted to do. That's um, I, I would never have been game enough to do that, ever. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty scary. I didn't At the time, I didn't really think of it um, as a big, brave thing to do. I just wanted to be a paramedic. I'd been wanting to do that since I was 16 and this yeah, was right. a way that I could do it. And I knew I'd be able to travel as well. Um, but the reality kind of hit me when I got there and I was in a hotel in a different country with no money and knowing no one. Yeah. And I was like, what am I going to do? How yeah, am I going to make this work? Luckily, I had some friends coming over and we figured it out and my first paycheck was amazing because I could pay my rent. Yeah, <laughs> so, right. Yeah. yeah. And and have something other than breakfast. That's right. Yeah, something <laughs> other than breakfast. That was good. <laughs> yeah, right. So what year did you return to Australia? I returned in 2018. So I had one normal year before the bushfires and COVID. Yeah. Which was okay. good. Yeah. So had you lined up a paramedic position back in Australia before you left or did you just come, come back? I had, and... yeah. So when I was in London, I was looking for jobs. Right. I actually was really lucky getting ACT because I put all my eggs in one basket and right. only applied for ACT. I came back to the country for three days to do the interview, the job interview. Right. Because London wouldn't get give me leave to do it, so I had to do it on my days off. I don't want to lose you. <laughs> yeah. So I came back for three days, did the interview, and I was shocked when I got the job. Um, right. I got the email and I called mum and said, oh, mum, I think I should tell them that they've sent the email to the wrong person. I couldn't possibly have got no the job. Way. And she said, don't do that. That would be silly. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. In your time over in the London ambulance, is it a start to your career that you pictured? Uh, yeah, I think I, well, I didn't really know what my career was going to entail. Right. I um, I never really pictured the start of my career, but I didn't think it would be so extreme. Yeah, I was going to say, was so it what you thought it would be? or Yeah, I, it wasn't. I mean, I think the thing that shocked me the most was just the amount of low acuity stuff that we go to. And I think that shocks most graduates. Um, right. But I wasn't expecting that in London. I, I thought that <laughs> I thought it would be all stabbings and medical yeah, things. Yeah, okay. Because um, that's what we'd been told in the interview. But it's just like Australia in that you go to people who have had abdominal pain for three years and someone who stubbed their toe and stuff like that. It's all the, <laughs> At 3 a.m. in the things, morning, no doubt. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that that was um, unexpected, but, I mean, a good learning curve because that's what ambulance is. That's what we do. Yeah. It's our bread and butter. But I think it was good in terms of figuring out how to be a paramedic. Like I said before, it's sink or swim. You've got to yeah. 
and I really learned to have confidence in my own abilities. Um, I did lose that a bit towards the end um, just because of, well, because of things that happened. But I think I'm slowly gaining it back now, which is yeah, nice. Right. Yeah. What are you actually referring to there? Um, so just before I left, I went to a job. Um, I was working with one of the technicians and we were called to a domestic violence situation or maybe not domestic violence, just a domestic situation, a husband and wife having a fight. Standard job. Yeah, Yeah. standard job. I was tired. I didn't really want to go to this. I thought this is not ambulance responsibility. This is more to do with police. Anyway, we turned up there and the husband said, oh, I shouldn't have called you. You know, we were just having a fight and she took three. She took too many paracetamol. Um, She took three instead of two. And so I said, oh, okay, well, that's fine. I mean, I'll still talk to her because you've called an ambulance. (laughs) Um, So I went upstairs and she was laying in bed and um, she was swearing at me and telling me to F off. And and she said, no, I don't think she was drunk. I think she just had had a fight with her husband and didn't want the paramedics there. But yeah, she was... She was swearing and yelling and telling me to get out. And I mean, I'd always been told that if someone swears at you and tells you to get out, then yeah. that's what you do. Sounds good to me. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so I did that. I didn't even write down any of her details. Um, I don't know what was going through my head at the time. Probably that, you know, we weren't required and that was yeah. fine. Um, anyway, a couple of weeks later, I was house sitting for a friend and I was looking through my emails and I just got this email that said, please explain. And that was it. And it was. Um, it was linked to an email from the police that was just a, a report that said this lady had hung herself. Yeah, right. And it was the day after I had seen her. Um, yeah, she had been found hanging and and the only thing that I got about that was please explain and I, I freaked out. <laughs> what? Yeah, and I absolutely lost it. I was an absolute mess because that's a caring me, manager right there. Yeah. yeah, and to me I thought this is my fault. Like from from that email. Yeah. I was like, this is my fault. I didn't help her. I could have actually done something for her and I didn't. And it broke me. I was broken. I I didn't want to go to work. I didn't want to be a paramedic. I didn't want to be a Christian. I didn't want to do anything. I was right. just, I was like, I have failed this woman and I've killed her. That was what I thought. And so I was completely shaken. And the response that I got from the ambulance service was just, well, please explain. Um, and then when I eventually got a meeting with a manager about it and I, I mean, I was a mess. I couldn't, I couldn't, I was just crying and like an absolute mess in the meeting. Yeah. But they said, well, you know, things would have been different if you had got her a mental health assessment when you were with her. And what, so then. paracetamol and abuse. Yeah. And so then I was like, well, even the ambulance service thinks this is my fault. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And that shook my confidence because I was like, I was just thinking, how am I supposed to. Mm ever assess anyone ever again without thinking that they might go the next day and kill themselves. Well, yeah. I, I refuse to leave anyone pres- at home for for months because right. of it. Transport everyone. Yeah, transport everyone. I did a mental health assessment on so many people that didn't need it. Right. Like calling the mental health team and stuff. You yeah, know? okay. Yeah, and I, I honestly nearly quit. I nearly said, I'll just get a different job. I can't be a paramedic. Yeah. Uh, it took a lot of time for me to... Move, mm. and, and I actually didn't really realise that I hadn't moved past that until um, last year when I was going for a job to become an intensive care paramedic mm-hmm. and I uh, had to do this exam and I didn't pass the exam so I didn't get the job and I, I fell apart. Um, I just right. completely 
overreacted to that and I thought, I don't know why I'm having this huge reaction to this. I was like, it's a job I can try again. Um, This job is going to come up again next year and I'll go for it then. So I shouldn't be a complete mess over this. Um, And so then I spoke to a couple of friends and they said maybe it's something more. Um, And I'd had a bit of a hard year at work so I thought maybe it's that. I'm just kind of struggling with always being being put with the people that nobody else wants to work with and all of those things. Um, But when I spoke to a psychologist I realised that actually it was that incident from London that I hadn't quite dealt with yet. And I was I was just kind of really affected by that, and had just shoved it aside, and yeah. now it was coming up again. That's uh, it's sad you were hanging on to that for so long, but I, unfortunately, yeah. one of the things that I've learnt uh, in actually from from the podcast actually, I was talking to a uh, a researcher from up in Queensland, and it's very evident that the organisational harm done by things like this that mm. you're talking about here is, you know, is three times more damaging to people and a lot of the, the actual trauma that you go to. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I couldn't believe it when that statistic was, you know, the people are being hurt at a ratio of, you know, three times more than uh, than the actual trauma by the organisational harm. Wow. And, yeah, I, I believe that because if – if I had had a phone call or something or like a yeah. different response, because I mean, you're going to stabbing as a routine explain. job, and then you yeah. get an email which throws you. It yeah, you know one what I mean? email and gang, if they, gang violence. If they had handled that differently, then maybe I would have had a different response. Like I can't say whether I would have or wouldn't have, but yeah. I um, yeah, I I think my response might have been a little bit yeah. different if I had had a supportive work environment to deal with it, rather than just you've done something wrong. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I, I've often looked back at my time in in the emergency services and wondered about moments like that uh, that have happened to me at times that have you know certainly th- thrown me uh, sideways just because of how it was managed or what was said at the time. But I, I, I've looked back lately thinking I don't actually know that my boss was travelling too well himself at the time or herself at the time and. I wonder how affected they were at the time that they were poorly managing the people that they were responsible for. Yeah, definitely possible, especially in London where you're dealing with just so much trauma and yeah. and stuff all the time. Yeah. Yeah, your care factor goes out the window for your own people. Yeah, and a lot mm. of my managers have been doing the job for, you know, 30 or however many years, yeah. so many years, they've, they've got to have been affected by some of the stuff they've yeah, seen. Absolutely. Like yeah. even while I was over there, a lot of the terrorist attacks happened. Um, and I didn't go to any of them, but some of my managers did. And right. so I'm sure that that would have affected them. Yeah. 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 It, it couldn't not have, I don't think. It yeah. couldn't not have because even those of us who weren't there, like yeah. I was on shift when um, the London Bridge attack happened. Yeah, really? Yeah. And I mean, I was in Romford, so I wasn't close. I wasn't sent to it. But we all felt the fear of that. We all put on our stab of vests course. and didn't yeah. want to, we were a bit scared to go and do anything because it was a big threat. So I can imagine the people who actually went to it, it would have been yeah. even worse. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So getting settled back into the Australian Ambulance Services um, in the ACT, how, how did you find that transition? I, yeah, it was it was a big difference. The people in ACT are um, a very different demographic to the people in London. Yeah, I can um, imagine, particularly that part of London. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But 
I have been treated. I think having experienced London, um, coming to the ACT, their staff are just managed so well. They actually right. care about their staff. Um, and yeah, when I've been to big jobs, when I've had hard times, they've got me immediately in contact with a peer support officer, which right. has been just great. Um, I couldn't believe it the first time I called in sick in the ACT. I called up my manager and said, oh, I'm sick here, all the symptoms, and I'm really sorry that I can't come. I'll probably be back tomorrow. And they said, Nikki, all you have to say is that you're not coming to work. And I couldn't believe it because in London, if you called in sick, like you right. you were, you had to have a meeting with a manager, you were put on a management plan, you couldn't get promotions. So Really? Yeah, it was crazy. They had a terrible sickness policy. So, I yeah, when, when I came home and I could just... <laughs> Call in sick when I was sick and right. and they actually cared if you went to a big job and, um, you know, I have colleagues. My colleagues in London were fantastic but um, the colleagues here have been just really supportive and right. everyone seems to care about each other which is really nice. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. yeah. What was it like? Um, and I know you're currently still working in the ACT ambulance service so I'd I know we can't really talk too many details about the actual job or the organisation, but just generally, what was it like working as an ambulance officer through COVID and the bushfires? Oh, yeah, big question. Um, yeah. The bushfires was, yeah, it was busy um, and not so much with just, I didn't go to any of the fire grounds. Um, I would have loved to have helped with that, but I didn't have the right, right qualifications at right. the time. But the ACT was covered in smoke and so yeah. we just had a lot of asthmatics, a lot of people with really high anxiety. Right. Um, and obviously the symptoms of an anxiety attack mimic asthma so people thought that they were having smoke-related issues. Okay. Um, so we were just really busy with that and it was quite nerve-wracking and stressful working during the fires because we didn't know if the ACT was going to end up on fire and I yeah. just I had yeah. just bought a house and it backs onto bushland oh, so I was no. terrified. I cared more about my dog. I made sure my neighbours had keys to my house <laughs> so they could get my dog out of the house if anything happened. Yeah. But yeah, the bushfires were very quickly overshadowed by COVID. Yeah. Um and COVID was crazy. I mean the first lockdown was great because people didn't call ambulances. They and we were not busy at all except for um, emergencies. Like, yeah, right. You know, actual emergencies. Um, and then the next lockdowns happened and all the press conferences and people were being told to call ambulances for the most minor of symptoms. So we were just flat out busy. Yeah. We had to wear PPE to every patient, um, which got just really tiring. Those garbage bag looking things. Yeah, it's amazing how tiring it is to put that on right. just 10 times a day. Um and to go into patients, they have no idea what your facial expressions are, which makes communication okay. different. Yeah. Um, older people couldn't hear at all what we were saying behind all of the yeah, PPE, right. but you can't take it off to communicate with them. Um, the amount of cleaning that we had to do was insane. Like, right. we obviously clean our ambulances, um, yeah. but after every patient having to do a huge deep clean just in case they have COVID was a lot and also just the stress of that as well we didn't I was know say, yeah you're yeah potentially exposing yourself to it by and doing at the that. start yeah. we didn't know what covid was we didn't know if this was yeah. gonna permanently affect us if we got it yeah. um or you know if this was deadly if we were going to bring it home to our families and things yeah, like that yeah. but we didn't have a choice as to whether we were going to go to people with covid or not so we had to really work hard to be careful and you could you could see the stress that it was putting on people. We lost mm. a lot of 
the workforce um, just because they didn't really want to work again after COVID. Yeah, is that right? Yeah, and I had yeah. a year off too after after COVID. I think it was more to do with what I was talking about before. I was kind of burnt out and needed some time off, but I went and worked at the university teaching for a year. Really? Which was such an amazing break. I didn't think I would be good at or enjoy teaching, but I loved it so much. Okay. The students oh, on the were, course that you did? Yeah, I yeah, taught. Right. I taught the third year students for a year, and it was amazing. The students were great. I had a great time. I really enjoyed it. So I think that's um, that's given me a, an idea of what I might do later in my career when right. I when I'm done with working on road. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, that, that's one thing I wished I had have had in my mind was a transition plan. Yeah, well, everyone has an exit plan now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I didn't really. I didn't think I was ever leaving. And, uh, yeah, anyway. and I think pre-COVID, a lot of people felt the same. They were like, I don't need an exit plan. But yeah. now we've all experienced that. Well, I mean, apart from the new grads, obviously, but yeah. we've all experienced that. We've had a, a couple of hard years and every Ambo you talk to says, oh, yeah, this is the thing I'm going to do. Yeah, This is my exit plan. Right. So, yeah. And I'm lucky enough to have had a year of experiencing teaching and loving it. So now yeah, I've got something great. that I can do as well. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. You've had a... Uh, I would call it a hectic start to your career. Yeah, so, I have. Yeah, straight out of uni into the uh, ganglands of London. Yep. And then back home to bushfires and COVID. Yeah, it'd be nice to have just a simple, <laughs> just a simple year. <laughs> I'm going to say you'd need to go to a little quiet country station somewhere out in Western New South Wales. Oh, or something, wouldn't but, that be lovely? Yeah. But actually, it's it sounds good, doesn't it? But it's uh, you, you never never know what's going to come around the corner, exactly. no matter where you are in these yeah. jobs. Yeah. You can't predict it. And, and that's uh, why I think what you guys are doing is so important. Um, listening to some of you talk about the reasons that you're here and the things that have happened, like it's it's nerve-wracking thinking about the way that mental health is handled now in the emergency services and if I were to be affected by that, mm. um, like the support for my family especially, I worry about them because I don't want them to have to deal with that yeah. without any support. Um, and, yeah, I mean I'm young I'm not in a scheme that's going to have very good superannuation no, probably. it's not any better. So yeah. if, if, I, um, if I can't do my job anymore, then like what am I going to do? So I think this, this program, this walk is so important and I hope that it gets the outcome that it needs to have yeah. um, for myself and all the other young AMBOs and police officers and firemen and SES and volunteers, all, all of us working in emergency services, our mental health is important and needs to be protected. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and you're right. Like it's it, it, people like you motivate us because we look at you and where you're at in your career and go, this can't happen to you. Yeah, I'm you know. I'm still very young in my career. I've only yeah. been doing this for nearly eight years, which is I'm still a baby Ambo in many ways. <laughs> I've got a lot of years to go. So, yeah, yeah, this stuff is super important. Well, let's hope you don't have to do a heart-to-heart uh, -heart walk down the track. And, yeah, uh, well, if I do, do I'm, I'm not very uh, logistically <laughs> talented or good at organising things, so I'll have to keep you organised. It's a big machine, isn't it? It's, yeah. uh, it's a big business, actually. Walk you wouldn't think walking would be so challenging. Yeah, you wouldn't. <laughs> There's a lot goes on behind the scenes. It's amazing how organised you guys are. It's it's great. I've just turned up and walked. I've loved it. <laughs> organised chaos, really. But Hey, look, thank you very much for coming on the podcast and You're sharing welcome. your story. I, I really appreciate it and... Thank you very much for walking with us and oh. helping out with getting to Canberra. No worries, anytime. I wish I could stay for longer, but got to go back to work. Yeah, work calls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, thanks very much. No worries. 
you've been listening to the Heart to Heart Foundation podcast, people on their own journey for the awareness of mental health in our first responders. Thanks for listening and please remember to support our foundation by going to the webpage at www.hearttoheartwalk.org. That's www.heart2heartwalk.org or just Google it.